All right, we began our Bible conference three weeks ago. Um, I, I was talking with Brother Joe saying maybe we ought to move this off of time change week. <laughs> but uh, hey, I, I know y'all are, are tired, uh, but it just means the world that you're here tonight uh, for one final shot. Uh, before we get back to real life. Uh, it's been nice to kind of come apart and get the synergy from uh, one another and uh, the churches that have come together. It's been an incredible week. And uh, yes, thank you so much, Oakland Heights, for your hospitality to all of us. Yes. Uh, you know, having put on these conferences before, I do know the amount of work that it takes and, uh, and the amount of money, and uh, so we are very, very grateful. Uh, okay, you guys, you want me to go short tonight? You liars. <laughs> I, I know we have kind of stretched the limits the last few nights, and uh, so I, I'm hoping not to do that to you uh, tonight, but I do want to make sure that you have opened your heart to what the Lord has for us. And one more time, if we could, just to kind of get everything pulled back into perspective, could we just look back over our shoulder at where we've been over the past few nights? Uh, Sunday night, we talked about the biblical illustration. Of, of discipleship, and we, we address the question, what if we don't make disciples? And the, the whole theme of the message was the Old Testament picture that accentuates the need for discipleship. Then Monday night, uh, we looked at that biblical mandate, our marching orders, why it is that we are to make disciples. The theme of that night was the big picture that motivates discipleship. And then last night, uh, we tried to just get real basic, real simple, getting into John chapter 17 so that we might, uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, so that we might get a biblical understanding of discipleship, which we saw was the work of the Lord. And uh, we, we sought to answer the question, what is discipleship? Who is to do it and where or with whom does it begin? And we, the theme of the night was this is the understanding that actually activates discipleship. And now tonight we're going to be looking at the biblical approach to discipleship. How is it? If we're going to do this biblically, how do we approach it? And the questions that we'll address tonight is how is it? to actually be done, and we're not talking about how in terms of the mechanics. That's what we've been talking about in the morning sessions. But how in terms of having this mandate before us, biblically, how do we approach this ministry, and to what extent are we to actually do this? And, and so tonight, that's what we're going to be looking at. How do, are we to do the work of the Lord? And to what extent 
and, and the verse that we'll be looking at together tonight is 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 58 where Paul says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And Lord, I, I pray right now that you will anoint this time that we spend together in your word. I pray tonight that the word of the Lord will have free course in this room, in, in our hearts. I pray that the, the spirit of God will be unleashed in this place and remove any other spirit other than the Holy Spirit from this place. And I pray that in these next few minutes as we seek to just dive into this unbelievable verse, that you will challenge us with the work that you've left us here to do. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Now Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 58 that when it comes to the work of the Lord, and you'll remember that we talked about this last night, the work of the Lord is the work that the Lord did when he was here working, and he says when it comes to that work, that first of all, we are to be steadfast. In other words, we are to make sure that we let the work of the Lord become such a priority and a passion in us that we are absolutely solidified in it. We get our mind so set on it. We get our heart so fixed on it. We get our will so enveloped in it that it literally becomes what wakes us up in the morning and what puts us to bed at night. Paul says when it comes to the work that the Lord did when he was here working, we are to be steadfast. In other words, we're to allow our eyes to get so focused on his work that we begin to see into that other half of reality that you cannot see with your physical eyes into that 2 Corinthians 4.18 realm of the eternal. And we so tenaciously invest our entire life into it. We allow the Lord to put a rod in our spiritual backbone for that work that he gave his entire ministry to accomplish. And we get so adamant about it. We get so dogmatic and determined about it. We get so entrenched and established in it and so faithful to it that it no longer describes what we do. It defines who we are. And we allow the Lord Jesus Christ to get our feet so shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace that we are so firmly planted and entrenched in the work of the Lord that every fiber of our being from the top of our head to the sole of our foot is so totally settled 
and so completely steadfast in it that we are unmovable. And that's the next word that he says about how we are to approach the work of the Lord. Listen to it, y'all. We are to be unmovable. You get your feet so dug in. You get your heart so rooted and grounded. You get your soul so anchored. You get your schedule so situated. You get your life so bound and determined so that every ounce of Everything that we are is just continuously eating and drinking and sleeping the work of the Lord. And it so consumes you that regardless of your situation and regardless of your circumstances, regardless of your socioeconomic level, regardless of your level of education, when it comes to the work of the Lord, it's just a settled fact. We're unmovable. And you can't be budged. You can't be shaken. You can't be rattled and tripped and wavered or stopped. You won't bend. You won't stop. You're firm. You're solid. You're secure. You're staunch. You're stationary. You're single-minded. You're tough. You're resolved. You're relentless. You're uncompromising, unswayable, unyielding, and totally immobile. I, I like Paul's word, unmovable. The next thing that Paul says about how we're to approach the work of the Lord and to what extent that we are to do it, he says, always. Always. It's not what we do when it's convenient. It's not what we do when we get around to it. It's not what we do when we've finally gotten to the end of our to-do list. It's not what we do when we don't have something better to do. It's not just what we do in the fall and the winter and the spring. But year-round. The, the word he uses is always. And when the Spirit of God inspired Paul to say always, you understand he wasn't exaggerating the point. He wasn't overstating it. He's not using hyperbole. He's not using a random word. He uses the word always because he meant always. Now, that word always in the Greek is a very interesting word. It means always. <laughs> I mean, what else do we need to know about that word? Listen, listen, folks. Somehow, God intends that our entire life be constantly, consistently, continuously, and unceasingly consumed with the work of the Lord. He uses the word always. And do you understand that the only way that that could possibly happen, because we, we do have real life, 
and we do have jobs. And the only way that this could possibly happen is we go to work and we do our job. I'm not talking about not doing your job. But listen, as we're doing our job, we view every person that we are working with. We see them in light of a relationship with God. We see them as eternal souls that were created to bring our God glory. And eternal souls who will spend eternity somewhere. And so we are always praying that God would open to us a door to be able to give these people the message of the gospel so that we might have the privilege of being able to win them to Christ. And we get in our car after work and we drive home and we come back into our neighborhood each day. And once again, as we're coming down our street, we view every person that we're seeing and every home that's represented in light of the people in that home and their relationship with God. And once again, always looking and longing and praying that God would open a door to us to be able to win them. And we sit down with those that God has used us to win. And we are constantly and continuously always seeking to take the truth of this book and build them spiritually unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And always doing everything within God's power through us to equip them to be sent into their sphere of influence so that they can always for the rest of their lives join us in the Lord's work of winning and building and sending and be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And that's the next way that Paul says that we're to approach the work of the Lord abounding. You hear that, y'all? He's not talking about hitting at it. He's not talking about dabbling in it. He's not talking about dinking around with it. He's not talking about going through the motions or giving it lip service or giving it enough to say that we're doing it. Not just approaching it with a half-hearted, nonchalant attitude, but abounding in it. Not approaching it from the cush, mediocre, lukewarm, American brand of Christianity that doesn't want to get too extreme, especially if work is involved or inconvenience is involved. Listen, none of that squares up with this word abounding. Abounding means giving it all you got, going beyond what is expected, exceeding the norm, surpassing the usual, doing it to the max, taking it over the top, shooting the moon, leaving it all on the field, breaking your back to overdo it. That's how we're to do the work of the Lord. You're steadfast, unmovable, 
always abounding. And then the next key word is the word labor. Paul says here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 58, For as much as you know that your labor... And I want you to notice that his description of the work of the Lord, the work that the Lord did when he was here working, his description of it is that it is labor. And my brothers and sisters, I want to say to you tonight that the Lord's work of winning and building and sending, it is the most thrilling the most exciting, fulfilling, rewarding work in the entire world for the simple fact that we have the privilege of doing the work that the Lord did when he was here working. He invites us to be a part of that work. Again, it's, it's awesome. Can't say enough about it, but before you get yourself surprised... Before you get yourself confused, before you get yourself disillusioned, you may want to also know that it is the toughest work in the entire world. Do you believe that? Have you seen that, that show on the Discovery Channel, Dirty Jobs? Okay, I, I would absolutely love for them to do a segment with the Apostle Paul on that, and just let him run down the list of light afflictions that he received because he carried out the work that the Lord did when he was here working. He talked about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 24 through 28. And he talked about how the fact that the Lord's work had caused him to be unmercifully whipped with 39 lashes, the maximum a criminal could receive by Roman law. And he says that I had that happen to me, the 39 lashes, I had that meted out upon me five different times. Can you imagine, y'all, the scars on his back? He says, three times I was beaten with rods. One time I was stoned. And that isn't like what you did years ago. <laughs> he says, I've been shipwrecked three times. And one of those times spending an entire 24-hour period before being rescued. And he talks about how the fact that he went through all kinds of perilous journeys in the water and at the hand of robbers from Jews and Gentiles alike in the cities and in the wilderness and in the sea. And, and, and all of these things, he said, man, just left him totally worn out as well as in intense pain. Paul says, man, I've been hungry and thirsty often. I've been in times of intense fasting. I, I've endured intense cold without the proper clothing. And he says, not to mention all of the daily things that I deal with internally because of how I care for the churches. Listen. Maybe that little five 
verse segment will let you know why Paul calls this thing labor. The word labor means to work to the point of exhaustion. You know what, y'all? I know a lot of 21st century Christians that will work to the point of exhaustion for the almighty dollar. But where in the 21st century are the people who are willing to work to the point of exhaustion for the almighty God? Listen, this work that he's talking about, the work that the Lord did when he was here working, do you understand? It is unbelievably demanding. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20 says that Epaphroditus who was one of the members of Paul's missionary team that was from the church in Philippi. What he says is that he had worked himself to the point that he was near death because of the work of Christ. The work that the Lord did when he was here working, almost to the point of death. For this work that we've been talking about over the last four days... And as we already saw from Paul's testimony in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, not only is it unbelievably demanding, it is extremely difficult. And the reason it is is because when we immerse ourselves in the work of the Lord, you understand we become a threat to Satan and the whole network of principalities and powers and other demonic forces. And so what happens is we enter into spiritual warfare like no other time in our life. And then it's not only unbelievably demanding, it's not only extremely difficult, but it's treacherously dangerous. The leaders of the church in Jerusalem described Paul and Barnabas who went out to do the work that the Lord did when he was here working. And the way that they described them... Acts chapter 15 and verse 26 is that these are men, listen to it, that have hazarded their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why when Paul wrote to Timothy after demonstrating to him over and over that the work of the Lord was worth dying for, he writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, right after he defines right after he defines discipleship in verse 2, and what he says to him after defining for him the work of the Lord, he tells him to endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ and as a good soldier not to get himself entangled in the affairs of this life. Hello. Listen. That's the generation of young people and not so young people that I hope the churches of the living faith will be raising up. An army of men and women who aren't afraid of hard work, who aren't afraid of hazarding their lives, who will set themselves as a part of a global revolution for the gospel's sake that will begin with you and your local church and 
from you and your church extend to the uttermost part of the earth. And so Paul says to Timothy, yeah, Timothy, it's hard, buddy. But as hard as it is, man, you don't back up, you don't back down, you don't back off, and you don't back out, pal. Because the Lord, the Lord of our salvation has told us to, when it comes to the work that he did when he was here working, that we are to be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And then Paul says... In 1 Corinthians 15, 58, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And my brothers and sisters, listen, when we are doing the Lord's work, the Lord's way. Okay, and that's what we're describing tonight from 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 58. When we're doing the Lord's work, the Lord's way, that is the result. We know that our labor is not in vain in the Lord. Oh, yeah, it is demanding. It is difficult. It is dangerous. But like I said a few minutes ago, it is the most rewarding work in this world and it has to be because it is the work of the Lord and it's rewarding from two perspectives first of all it's rewarding in this life now obviously I'm in the ministry vocationally and I've been doing this 39 years now. But I got to tell you, man, in those early days, for years and years in the ministry, I would pillow my head at night, and I'm not exaggerating this point. I would pillow my head at night asking myself, is this what it's all about? Am I really doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Yeah, I'm preaching my sermons, and I'm visiting, and I'm doing this, and I'm doing that, but am I doing what I'm really supposed to be doing? Have you ever felt like that, y'all? What Paul says is when we involve ourselves in the work that the Lord did when he was here working, the way that 1 Corinthians 15, 58 describes What he tells us is that we will come away from that work not wondering, but knowing that our labor is not in vain. You just know it. And it's so rewarding. But listen, not only is it rewarding in this life, It's rewarding in the life to come. Listen, y'all, one of these days, I know we know know it. Sometimes hard to get it in view. One of these days, we're all going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. 
we're going to be rewarded for our service to Christ. And, and as I said last night, we will be rewarded for what we did with the Word of God in fulfilling our mission in the world. And were we steadfast? Were we unmovable? Were we always, were we abounding in the work and labor of seeing others one to Christ, built up in their faith, sent into their sphere of influence to win people to Christ and build them up in the faith so that they could be sent to win? And listen, if so, if that's what we've given our lives to, we will be rewarded. Revelation chapter 22 and verse 12, Jesus said, Behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. We get in to God's family by grace, through faith, apart from works, but reward doesn't have anything to do with grace. It has to do with works. It has to do with labor. And how we do it. Paul asked the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 9, For what is our hope or joy or, or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? Do you understand, according to Job chapter 26, there's six questions that we're going to be asked at the judgment seat of Christ. And the first one, I'll paraphrase it for you. He's going to look us in the eye and say, who is here because of you? And the second question is, and who here is more like me because of you? That's what we're talking about, y'all, at the judgment seat of Christ. And if, as 1 Thessalonians 2.19 says, if at the presence of our Lord's coming we have given our life to win, build, and send, I assure you, for all of eternity, you will know that your labor down here in this life was not in vain. In Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 11, what Peter does is he describes for us what happens when we come out of the judgment seat of Christ. And he talks about there being some of us that are in this room. And our entrance into the everlasting kingdom, he says, is going to be abundant because we've just come 
from the judgment seat of Christ, the place of reward. And let me tell you, the people that he's talking about there that will have ministered unto them an abundant entrance into the everlasting kingdom are the people who spent their life in this life steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And listen, y'all, throughout that everlasting kingdom, we will know that our labor was not in vain in the Lord. My brothers and sisters, that's what biblical discipleship is all about. And I close tonight and say with Paul, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.